0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another All New X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, marvels, and Wolverine appearances week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me snicking along on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. A number of weeks ago, we relaunched our show in accordance with the new year for 2022, focusing on a split of our content to make it easier for our listeners who listen for specific ideas. We had Marvel Mondays, X-Men X-Wednesdays, and Marvel Fanfare Fridays, but how little we could have known that our magic cycle was going to kind of fall somewhere between Death of Doctor Strange and Semester 1 of Strange Academy wrapping up, and we're getting ready for a lot of big new magic Marvel titles, but while we do that, Marvel has definitely been ramping up the amount of attention put on one of their most tried-and-true characters, Wolverine. Whether it's the X Lives and Deaths of Wolverine event, or the number of Wolverine Marvel Unlimited appearances, like in X-Men Unlimited or the Life of Wolverine tie in series. There's also a bunch of upcoming things as well as reprints. It's a really big time to love Wolverine, and as such, we're going to dedicate another episode to Weapon X himself. And there's no better place to start than by talking about the nature of the 10 Lives and Deaths of Wolverine event. We're halfway through it as of this episode. We've covered three issues of Lives as of here and two issues of Death, and that puts us right in the middle. And one of the things that that's definitely allowed us to do is get a better better understanding of what this event is and at the moment it does feel like two distinctly different events that we're waiting to see unite somewhere down the line as they're two very different nemeses doing two very different things Moira is trying to escape and Logan is trying to track her down as well as Mystique whereas over in the world of Lives of Wolverine Omega Red is hunting down Xavier through time with the help of Mikhail Rasputin leaving Logan to try and stop his long time paced faced nemesis. And one of the things that I find myself most fascinated by is, as we discuss later on in the episode, the many ways that that allows us to explore the multitude of characters that Logan has always been. Life of Wolverine by Jim Zub, Ramon Box, Hava Tartaglia, and VC's Joe Sabino has been a really great opportunity to interact with many of those iterations. Admittedly, I was a little less sure about the series early on, while listening back I can hear how effusive my early reviews were. It's one of those fascinating situations where, with more time, I can now look back and see how the series is really beginning to grow more and more. That initial entry gave us a sense of how this ties into the bigger narrative, and from there, we've gotten pieces of Logan's history in a way that's helped me to understand the character in a more holistic way, but also the nature of his publishing history, which led me to doing some research on just how that worked out for many years, and later on, I'll be talking a bit about the nature of Logan's publishing history for a Good portion of his early character appearances. But here, one of the things that's really stuck out to me is the number of places that the creative team on Life of Wolverine has had to sort of hand wave some timing inconsistencies as a result of the shift in medium. When Uncanny X-Men 268 came out and Chris Claremont said, Okay, Wolverine and Captain America and Black Widow go. So many of us grew up with that issue that you know we're still reading now. And that had a huge impact on the way I saw comic book stories personally. I'll always think back on that one time, that one issue where they showed us that Cap knew Wolverine and Black Widow was there. And like, there's a sense of magic and wonder to this single issue being able to deliver that much power. Admittedly, we see returns to that idea throughout Logan's career with single powerful issues. Of course, there is the Mark Millar-Carrie Andrews issue that Marvel kind of published a million ways and- wolverine is sort of the master of the one shot over the years so the idea of a single powerful issue featuring logan telling a complex story about his narrative in the marvel universe feels very true to who he is which is why as storytelling changed over the years and we started to see a lot more deconstructed arcs taking logan to places in his past in these sort of more long drawn out ways it really as arturo says this segment and as i said in previous segments, devalues the power of the mystery. And that's one of the things that I think that Life of Wolverine number 5 did so, so well. Guided by Shadows repowered the mystery in so many ways. I felt encouraged to want to learn more by the way the creative team only really gave me hints and glimpses of what was behind the curtain. I was very excited to see a number of stories come up that I would be able to look for them in individual ways. However, one of the most complicated things about loving characters in the Marvel Universe is like, sometimes you get that one, you get that other one. And I kind of feel that way sometimes with a number of the bigger picture of Captain America's brethren. I'm a big Captain America guy, and I'm a bit more for like, the SHIELD stands for hope, Captain America, than I am for any sort of nationalistic identity, right? Uh, Thanks for letting me borrow that one, Cal, right? So when I think about the way Logan interacts with with Captain America. I think for instance about Uncanny X-Men 268 and it's beautiful inclusion here in Life of Wolverine is a really great way to sell that to people but I also think about New X-Men 145 where it's revealed that not only is Captain America Weapon 1 but he is Weapon 1 and the most successful of all of them so far and then we get that Chris Boccolo Wolverine standing in his boxer briefs image and that doesn't just live rent free in my head. I pay it a fellowship to live there because I don't want it leaving Right and And that is my Logan and Captain America sort of synergy. But when you talk about Captain America, especially in a post Ed Brubaker came and kind of reset the dial on the Marvel Universe world, one of the things that you need to consider is the Winter Soldier and, you know... I'm a big fan of Sebastian Stan's interpretation of the character, and I love his unique interplay with the nation of Wakanda and the energy that that relationship feeds into a film experience, right? Like, when I go to the movies, I love the idea that, oh, Bucky could show up in a Black Panther movie or a Cap movie, and now, you know, he's got his own show. There's something exciting there. I do not have the same relationship with the Winter Soldier in the comics, unfortunately, and that's... Perhaps born of an era where I felt like every time I opened a comic, somebody's long-lost sidekick was coming back. We had just seen Jason Todd come back as Red Hood. Sorry about the spoilers. And I feel as though this was... And, then you know, funny enough, there was that whole both Cap and Batman wound up getting killed and time-traveling thing. It was wild, right? And Wolverine and Winter Soldier really don't make a lot of sense to me, right? And it's sort of the same way I feel about, like, Daredevil and Winter Soldier, For me, Matt and Natasha will always have a very special bond, and Matt will always drop everything to take care of Natasha should she need it, should she be in danger. And I know she would do the same thing. I know she would be like, I'm friends with Natasha, guys. BRB, I'm going to give her a call, right? And I feel as though the character of Natasha would do the same thing for Matt in an instant. Should he need being taken care of? We've seen it time and time again. One of the best examples, of course, being the Bendis run and the Murdoch papers. But I don't really get Daredevil and Bucky Barnes interplay for like any reason reason other than through Nat. So when they wound up meeting in a Winter Soldier arc at one point where every Daredevil website was like, hey guys, sudden Daredevil news, Daredevil's appearing in this title. We were all just kind of like, oh, right. And I have the same sense of things for Wolverine with, because I think Wolverine and Daredevil, there are a lot of parallels there. And it's not just the fact that, you know, they both share the hand and they both have an intense relationship with Elektra and a sense of appropriative Asian martial arts influence, you know, it's it's beyond that. There's a lot of parallels within their own stories and their own narratives. And Wolverine's relationship with Winter Soldier feels very born of an era where everything at Marvel had to be the same thing, and there really wasn't room for everything that didn't homogenize. Everyone had to be an Avenger, or they really couldn't play in the sandbox. For that reason, what I feel to be more forced points of intersection between Bucky and Logan, especially when you consider the fact that nothing Bucky, can really go back further than you know, as we understand the character than like 2006 2007 that you know cap run by Brew Baker and Epting so I am hard pressed to be like no that's such a part of his history it's been about 15 years and the number of their actual interactions has been kept to a minimum so I feel like if Bucky made a good appearance here there's probably a reason maybe Bucky's got something going I mean I just read that Bucky Devil's Reign one shot that was really expressive the art was really challenging. I liked the ideas presented, though, you know, I'm not sure how that character is going to exactly interact with Logan in this regard, right? You know, who Bucky was when the Marvel Universe was trying to forward engineer him once upon a time is very different than the character he has settled into. So it'll be really interesting to see where a revised Bucky reintersects with Logan's history and his future. Speaking of Logan's history, something I am not as crazy about is the insertion of fictional characters into real life tragedies where the people who were directly affected in a you know live sense are still alive i have some very complicated feelings about logan being at the atomic detonation in hiroshima and i understand that it was already a part of his canon but it is one of those things that we've talked about a bit on the show recently where you know we know that there is an unavoidability of the relationship of marvel as an entity with the notion of fighting nazis and i have no problem with that you know fight those nazis it's the personification of nazis as people with inner workings that i'm just not as here for in a universe created by some plucky young jewish guys who just wanted to beat hitler you know (laughs) so i have some complicated feelings about this sort of intersection and it does seem to come back to world war ii a lot but it's handled here so carefully and delicately there's also something to be said about a moment of the art In that sequence that I am particularly moved by, there's something about the smoke plumes that actually represent in many ways the gnarl of Wolverine's bone claws, a very human, a very primal, boiled back down to his most honest essence kind of place. And I very much reacted powerfully to that image. And speaking of powerful images, Logan walking with a bunch of bamboo sticks over his shoulder shirtless is one of the greatest gifts ever. Ramon Box, that is like your best panel ever. Great job, buddy. (laughs) and i love this Itsu story it reminds me a lot of the brian K. Vaughn, eduardo riso logan three-parter that came out a number of years ago it has like a lot of that very strong visual atmosphere of putting logan in japanese settings without overly trying to create a sense of appropriate familiarity and for that i'm really grateful i'm also beginning to wonder at what point this narrative might end as is brought up later on we want to know about how weapon x might fit into this we're really excited to know how alpha flight might intersect with this but we're really kind of rapidly approaching where logan and his like active present history hits the marvel universe and for that i'm really excited that's going to be a really interesting thing to see how zub is able to handle it's one thing to sort of talk about past stories that are in the far past that influence current stories i mean they're all written or many of these are written by still actively working writers but the nature of getting to stories in the modern age and how they sort of reflect what's going on in other titles is a very different sort of playing field than the far past, which really only affects Logan's canon and the perceptions of Logan, right? So once we get to a place where there's more characters that we sort of need to rectify alternate interpretations of, it's going to be really interesting to see the way Zub handles that. And speaking of handling a title, Ben Percy and Joshua Kasara have been taking X-Lives of Wolverine to a new level each issue. I know that I started the title a little way, but man am i really in now i'm beginning to understand the psychic vampire isms of omega red especially in regard to the cerebro sword and mikhail rasputin it's really starting to paint a powerful interwoven narrative between x-force and wolverine that we feel you know he's always been hinting at as a creator ben percy is definitely somebody who is looking at a big picture and anybody who can do such an eloquent reference to the gunslinger gets a thousand points in my TK's book we hope you guys enjoy this next segment as much as we enjoyed making it and if you guys like what you hear don't forget you might even like what you see so don't forget to give us a subscribe over on twitter and instagram at x is for podcast Hey everybody, welcome back to X-Lives of Wolverine, where we X-Lives of Wolverine. It's X-Lives of Wolverine. It's all the fucking time. This book is weekly. I can't stop saying X-blank of Wolverine. It just won't stop. I'm Nico Action, and I am, for the first time in my life, aware that the market might actually be oversaturated with Wolverine. (laughs) Over at Twitter and Instagram, Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Snick, snick.
1: Hey guys, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Comic underscore Canary. Snick
2: Snick. Hey guys, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Drusopher3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3 Snick Snick.
3: <laughs> Hola, it's a doodle baby. Y ya tu sabes. You can find me at Mr. Toy Box on Twitter and Instagram. Snicked.
4: And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at x, Nate x, Gray x, and we hope you survive this experience, unlike my hope that I would never, ever have to see Romulus again. Snick fucking <laughs> snick. Right there I, with you.
0: I was like, no, I did this to myself. <laughs> because... It was in X Life of Wolverine, X point X and Omega. And I, I said, Nobody really wants to see that Romulus appearance though and Arturo was like, No, I'm sure that's not it. I'm sure. And I was like, Yeah, not a chance. And sure enough, but I got to be honest. At least he appears in a very—they wouldn't have even have credited him at the beginning of the episode. He would have been like a surprise at the end, and his name would have been in the after credits, right? Like how little Romulus I had to deal with here was at least moderately pacifying. How did everybody feel about the showing up edge of everybody's least
3: favorite lupine? Well, so here here's the thing with Romulus. I hated the origin story. I hated him as this like Machiavellian, you know, in the shadows, pulling strings. It just felt so absurd. But I've kind of gone through the looking glass with it now. And I as soon as I got to that that reveal of him, I was like, you know what? This guy is at this point camp. Like it like we don't have to get into the Romulus of it all, but he's he's almost like Wolverine Strife in a way. You know, he's just like this over-the-top overbladed campier version and uh so he's like wolverine ziggy stardust and and now that he's like i don't know just back in the ether thanks to percy now i'm kind of like you know what a year from now romulus turns up on krakoa that'd be a key
4: so i mean the fact that there was little of him was a blessing as far as i'm concerned The Arturo, everything you say makes sense. For me, it's one of those things where a lot of times when stuff that doesn't really work for a character, stuff that the canon overall is kind of better without, a lot of writers choose to just let it go and forget it. Romulus doesn't need to be central. Romulus could have been retconned out. He's a really uh, unpleasant character to deal with. So I'm perfectly fine if he never shows up again. If he needs to show up, if Wolverine writers really feel like, no, this is there, I can't make like larger Wolverine's past stories work unless we acknowledge him. I wish somebody had done some backwork to rehab the character to the point where I don't cringe when I see him. And this might be the start of that, and I would be totally down for it, but I did cringe when I saw him.
1: I feel like Romulus was kind of like almost necessary because when you think about the history between Romulus, Red Omega, and Wolverine, like he was a pretty big part of that like back in the day. So it made sense that he was there. I I wasn't exactly happy to see him, but I feel like it just made sense in a way, especially when we knew about like everything with Dokken. Honestly, I didn't really read the credits page, so it was a surprise to me, but it still wasn't <laughs> at the same time because I'm like, oh, yeah, this makes sense that he would show up at this point.
2: I actually have not read a lot of solo wolverine because like i just think he's oversaturated i haven't even really read any romulus stuff so it was just kind of like you know meh for me i you know don't really know don't really know the guy <laughs>
0: i don't yeah, know I don't know the guy he said
3: <laughs> i don't know her yeah there's
0: only 40 issues of romulus altogether he first appears in the shadows and he appears as a name uh, ultimately you find out that maybe everything he said was a lie maybe he made everything up maybe he's not a cat, dog, god, war monger. I don't know. But if somebody's going to try and make it work, it's gonna be Ben Percy who has tried to make Omega Red work. He's tried to make Maverick work. And it seems as though ultimately, what I'm taking from this experience is that Ben Percy isn't here to rehab Wolverine. He's here to rehab Wolverine's canon and he's doing it in a very active, present way. I hadn't realized just how vital the design work was to this title. If you take a look at the opening sequence, Life 1 is Logan and Captain Benedict Xavier. Life 2 is Logan in the American West. Life 3 is Logan in World War I France. Life 5 is Logan with Itsu. Life 6 is Logan with Charles Xavier in England. Life 7 is listed as Logan with Sabretooth and Charles Xavier in Colombia. Life 9 is listed as Logan in the Middle East. And Life 10 is listed as Logan on Krakoa where the active participants are listed as Logan, Xavier, Gene, Omega Red, and Mikhail. And I think I had not really considered the interwoven elegance of this approach of narrative. And it stirred in me a reference to my favorite bit of metafiction, which actually intersects with Marvel, such that when TK, out of nowhere, you were like, did you catch reference? I was like, (sighs) and I think, you know, it is really hard to talk about what Percy is trying to do with Wolverine here without acknowledging the gunslinger.
4: Right from the cover, we get an image reminiscent of the gunslinger and of Clint Eastwood of the, you know, the gruff, stoic hero. And that, you know, that's such a common thing that I wasn't necessarily thinking of the gunslinger. But when we get to that first page, and the captain says, I'll shoot by God, and Omega Red says, shoot, then there are other bodies than these. That is a very classic. So it's a spin on a classic quote from the gunslinger which is go then there are other worlds than these and at that moment so much clicked into place for me not just about percy's understanding of this character archetype but of multiverses and timelines and the consequences for what is going
3: to happen in this book it was very exciting I love this because it tied up that whole concept of all of this is happening at the same time. And prior to this issue, you know, and then as you're also reading Life of Wolverine and then, you know, obviously we've got the Deaths book, which is like the Moira book. Time has been so kind of topsy-turvy and we're popping in and out of all of these different things. And it's like, okay, is he traveling back? And I love that this just tied up that it's all kind of happening at once, which is i think uh an elegant solution when it comes to time travel and rewriting the timeline and changing history he's putting his own spin on a well-worn trope and and like you said nico it's he's kind of like retreading wolverine's canon and you know as a as a kid of the 90s and and growing up with characters you know w- with that era of wolverine with maverick and omega red and Sabretooth, and i kind of lose sight of all the years where wolverine's story was was different right like the he, for a couple of years he was running the school for you know he he's he's gone through different things so this kind of like return to that era and these you know familiar faces coming back up it says a lot that I was happy actually a little happy to see Romulus
2: like you were saying Nico um, I'm always down for writers uh, adding and like kind of fixing continuity than just like getting rid of them and like forgetting about it because then once you go back you can always add that new continuity into the character and make it make more sense and then you can kind of, in a way, fix the character. So then you have like a new character that you can work with instead of just forgetting about them and you know, just don't worry about it.
0: And that's perhaps one of the things that I think I'm so surprised by with this event. One of the things that I'd sought to do with pulling together the sort of regular crew that's been discussing this title is pulling together people who have had an understanding of the stakes of what's going on in Krakoa. It's really fun for me sometimes as an editor because, like, it's so stupid, but I feel like if there's somebody with his, like, ear to the bar, it's Arturo. Like, he's sitting at the Green Lagoon right now and he's doing this all from his setup there. And I feel like Drew was just sitting quietly in one of the living rooms, just flipping through his books, watching everything. Like, I get this, like, sense when I'm editing these things, right? And so I pulled together this group because whether you'd been on X Men or Inferno or Wolverine, right? Whatever titles you'd been on, there were threads that we had all been really hoping to see come together here. And instead, it sort of feels as though the threads from the previous few months are less important than the overall picture of Wolverine. And for that reason, I have to sort of intersect with how do you guys feel about the multitude of Logans we're seeing? I think one of the things that's really difficult when you're talking about showing seven to ten versions of the same character is making them all relevant. And in an age where United States of Tara set an incredibly high standard for a performance of that on screen, and then something like Loki revised what can be done in terms of a Of identity, of singular self, I feel like Ben Percy is genuinely giving me different Logans. And I would love to know how you guys feel if that's like the Logan fanboy in me latching on to every last claw, or is Ben Percy really developing this like an almost like aging a wine?
1: I just want to preface by saying I'm still mad about the surfer issue from Wolverine. Yes, because, thank you. Thank you. Because we Your got point floats. We got Surfer Wolverine with like this act with this like underlying plot of stealing mutant babies and that thread was never finished. It was never mentioned again. And I feel like that's something that's been consistent with Wolverine a little bit is we've been getting these like this like taste of these like interesting kind of plot lines that just haven't gone anywhere because in my opinion, just the overall X office and the overall stakes of all of the X-Men continuity right now, like it just didn't work for that time or something more important came along. And I think that's what we see here with Wolverine is Wolverine is such an important character economically for Marvel. He's a popular guy. You put him on a comic, people are gonna buy it. People love Wolverine and rightly so. He's such an amazing, interesting, dynamic character. Like, don't get me wrong about that. But I think Percy here is doing a really good job of giving us that different Wolverine feel and having these different storylines with his different lives, some that he feels, that Wolverine feels is very negative experiences in his life that he's able to, he's actually able to do some good and help out somewhere in a way that he wishes he always could. So it's almost like a redemption for his, past like we were saying before which i think is absolutely amazing but on the other hand i can't help but to wonder we have so many other amazing characters like other wolverine families that i think deserve also a storyline as well and i'd like to see what that could have been like honestly i would love a wolverine story that focuses on the wolverine family rather than just logan coming up you well know? i
3: i agree with that we need like a, a house of claws book that is just like their family but i i want to say something about percy if i've learned anything about him through this event it's that everything has been intentional things that you thought were dropped or never to be followed up on were placed there with a purpose and given a long enough runway i guarantee you that that awful australian chick will be back because that's what he does he like lays out these threads and although it feels like you know i going month to month or whatever you're like oh what happened and he's on two books and you know I think sometimes he gets confused with which book is which and where the plot lines are are being dropped. So sometimes it's like kind of hard to keep track of, but he's showing us that he's going to bring that all together. And I think here, so here's the thing about Wolverine. Wolverine, I think is very similar to Mystique in that they are both characters that are better served by the mystery shrouding, you know, their origins. I would have preferred never getting those origin stories. I liked when Logan's memories were a big black box and anything could come out of there and a new time period new country new love interest like we were kind of like discovering all of these different things as we went along origins kind of shown too harsh a light on on like the facts of of his origins in, in my opinion but it is what it is it exists right so i feel like what percy's doing now is mining all of that stuff all of the history that's there and weaving it together in a way that's perhaps accessible to new readers feels familiar and a little bit of you know nostalgia slash recap for older readers it's not about redefining logan nico you said it really well when you said it's like he's aging logan you know like a like a fine wine he's like refining it he's adding more texture and and more color to you know an already historic and huge marvel character
2: near the end of the issue there's like a, a reference to the 2003 wolverine and so i went back and read a couple of issues from that um just because that's what I do whenever there's one of those little reference boxes that entire little 5-issue run is really what happened in the lives of Wolverine on Unlimited so it, it kind of is just piecing it all together so that um, it all fits you know in like a little collection
0: and you know Arturo I I love the sort of cross coverage here one of the things that's so great about having so many voices on this show that we've recently gotten a number of Twitter comments talking about how they love you know our depth and variety of voices is when our even our differing opinions still intersect I feel the exact same way about origin I think once you have a character whose origin is so complex even he can't understand it if you try to solve that mystery you never will it's why the guys from Lost only answered so many questions because after a while when you've built the mystery too big the better thing to do is let people hold the mystery in their heart and you know there's sort of a dynamic opposite truth to it Batman starts with the mystery you know his parents died when he was a kid. Superman starts with a mystery. You know his planet died when he was a kid. Spider-Man starts with a mystery. You know that his Uncle Ben died when he was a kid. Daredevil starts with a mystery. You know that his dad died when he was a kid. Like, wow, everybody's an orphan, right? It's like a Disney movie, and no wonder they bought it. And I think the thing I'm getting at here is by decoding so much of Wolverine, you ran the risk of ruining the, the magic, ruining the, the, the mystery of him. And I feel like what Percy wants to do is draw a map of how that mystery can... Like, like feel real again. And I think for so many reasons Josh Casara's stunning art on that opening sequence mirrors things I've seen in books like American Vampire, mirrors things I've seen in books like The Massive. Like the the depth of texture. This is not a standard superhero comic. This is I don't want to say it's an elevation of the form, but it's certainly taking it a place that superhero comics are usually afraid to tread. And I really appreciate the realism. It makes it feel very much like I'm legit on a boat.
4: Nico, I want to return to your question Are we getting seven to 10 really different Wolverines? The thing I find really interesting is, on the one hand, yes, absolutely, and that's clear, and on the other hand, no, but not failing. We're not getting them in a way that they failed. The story is set up that we're getting these really obvious visual cues and setting cues that these are distinct eras. You know, the Wolverine that is there is in vastly different places in his life, and my my favorite of those is Teen Wolverine, because we, sometimes need that reminder that despite how old he is Wolverine has had a whole life and it started with a childhood and so to get the reference back to the team Wolverine was great the thing is we know that it is current Logan that is running each of these bodies and so there is a through line for all of these different Wolverines that they are the same person that and we're seeing a lot of with the exception or besides Omega Red being being there as well and always, no, you know, being present, we're seeing a lot of similar themes in each of these lives that, you know, it just really ties together. This is the essence of Wolverine, though he may seem different for a variety of reasons in various points in his life. He's always Wolverine.
3: Well, and I love that we're getting like two different versions, basically, because we have the scenes like with Itsu, where it's just Wolverine's own personal memories and Omega Red's coming for him right and then we have the other Wolverine which is basically he kind of comes barging into different situations like this Moby Dick scene or whatever like who was Logan you know in the moments before Omega Red was was attacking Xavier's forefather or whatever like Wolverine comes out of nowhere, you know, riding a dog sled, right? So in some situations, it seems like he's more aware of I'm here with a purpose. And then in others, it's more like his own memory. And then we've kind of got like the blended one. He's in Central America with Maverick and Sabretooth, which is like his own personal memories. But then it turns out Xavier is nearby. So he has to go and, you know, take action. Percy's like playing with this. And the fact that it's all telepathic slash a little bit of a reality warp kind of vibe changes the stakes in a way where it seems less reckless than Beast pulling the original five from you know from the the sixties and bringing them to the present. Like that seemed like okay, you don't give a fuck if all of reality is destroyed. Cool. This feels like there's some guardrails, and with those guardrails, Percy's having a blast, and he's showing all of these different vignettes.
0: I really agree, and like I love that I never would have considered the beast comparison because you're right beast doing that was a hate crime and this feels a little bit more like a precision strike (laughs) this feels like there's some thought going into it and don't get me wrong i'm sort of like a little excited confused that omega red is like a time disease now i don't get it but i'm here i'm in i love it especially if it's targeting xavier and man that's crazy like now i'm not here to root for you know nationally based time eugenics that's not what i'm here for but i am certainly fascinated by the sort of interplay that this brings about for logan this sort of idea and i you know know So who is he at this point at any given time also allows us to explore who he has to be to the audience. One of the things that Logan has to do for the audience is always survive. And I'm interested in seeing the cogs of continuously justify all of these survivals, because if nothing else, this is X lives of Wolverine. And I'm thinking he's going to survive-ish from time to time. Now, I am more excited to talk about one thread than almost any thread in the entire book i am like throw the computer off the table here to talk about the cerebro sword what the fuck is this thing it is one of my favorite plot device deus ex machina stupid i don't know what it's about the design of it is everything to me i don't care it has every power this is when i got super horny for sauron having new powers and i'm just into it I am horny for this sword and Mikhail looks great with it. I think that it has the power to just stab big pasty dudes through time is everything I've ever wanted from a sword. This is one of those things where if, if Percy said to himself, I, as a writer have wiggle room, you know, I, I need to explain thing one thing, two thing, three, I don't need to explain thing five thing, six thing, seven. I'm glad this went in a list of things he doesn't need to explain to me. And I love that. It's kind Coming out of nowhere.
3: It feels like it's a key to access, you know, the neural net of mutant kind or whatever. But like, how is that helping... With the time travel and whatnot, I mean, very unclear, but I'm not worried about it.
4: One of the things that got me really excited from the get-go about the Cerebro sword was its appearance right around the same time as the X of Swords event, Mm -hmm. and slightly disappointed that it did not end up being a big deal for that. There was plenty going on. That's fine. It was just like, swords, this sword, it's got to be in there. So, you know, that's fine, but as soon as it was clear that that's... That was not going to be a thing. My eyes started looking to the future and I thought, "We, I need to see that thing again and it needs to be glorious. And lo and behold, yeah, I mean, Nico, I'm right there with you. It's the coolest thing in the world. I want to commission one. When I get Coa, I want that to be my weapon of choice. Like it is so freaking cool. And I, you know, I really hope that we do get a good balance of here's a really good explanation of what it did in this story. but not necessarily... Here's everything it can do. Here's all the mysteries. Now you know all you need to know about the Cerebro sword in order for us to use it whenever we want. I would love for there to continue to be some mystery and then for other writers to be able to grow on the thing and for some amazing mutant to
3: wield it in the future. Oh, no. I want I want Magneto to destroy it and use the shards of it to destroy Mikhail at the end of all this. Like, I, I, I'm I enjoying Ballad. the sword. I think it's it's serving a purpose it's it you know he played a little bit of a long game I think it would have been cooler if the sword had you know if we had seen the sword in Xavier's bedroom for a while before it disappeared um it felt like you know it, it was hung up and then stolen pretty quickly you know that said like it's it's serving a good purpose but it's not something that I need to see you know recurring forever it's it's like a one and done kind of prop for me
2: one thing that kind of interested me about the whole thing was that xavier mentions that in order to save the con they have to like they could potentially throw like cerebro in, in like a black hole so yeah. that like kind of i was like thinking about using like cerebro sword or even like zorn or something of that nature and like maybe how that could bring in the x3 lives of like uh rasputin and um cardinal and that kind of stuff
4: yeah my mind went to very similar places you know knowing all the black hole time travel phalanx stuff that we got set- Set up for us in House of X and Powers of Ten, you know the fact that we know that one Zorn has a black hole in his head. I don't even necessarily need that to be part of this, but having it on page, all of those elements being working of a mutant circuit type of thing. Like this is these are the keys to the spell, and should we ever need it, this could be something really cool.
1: Honestly, I'm excited to learn more about it to figure out exactly. Wh- how it works and what's going on. It's just it's an interesting piece of technology and I'm just I'm intrigued by it.
0: And I think it's one of the benefits of this new Kracoan age that we have the benefits of this like advancing idea in krakoan technology. It's not just we built new robot computer button. It's a dynamic idea, a reforging of a unique idea that is now like, it's so transitive for what mutants are and for mutants to be about evolution. This item is about evolution. And that's so at the core of this story as well because one of the things I think that they're trying to do with the bigger picture of Logan's mythos is continue to evolve it. I have some reservations personally about making Mikhail Logan's villain. I'm not sure what that does for Logan. I understood what that did for Colossus, making Colossus and Mikhail have some, you know, but I don't know that where Logan and Colossus are anymore, this really has the dynamism that they're looking for so i'm not sure why giving logan a reality altering bad guy is a thing but perhaps if i look at it as mikhail is another kind of romulus bigger picture i I guess and then you know it's still about facing omega red but mikhail is maybe the one thing that doesn't fit my understanding of this exactly i just don't know what mikhail gets out of logan
3: uh see, I see it as I, I think with Mikhail, it's still ultimately about Colossus, right? Like I, I feel like he wants to destroy Xavier's dream or whatever, because of whatever animosity, whatever familial, you know, tension persists there. I see it as Mikhail pulling strings and using Logan's, you know, rogue gallery basically to come at Logan, but he's not coming at Logan for anything personal. And actually, I mean it's more like he was coming for Xavier and then Logan's the one who has stepped in Does that makes sense I mean he was using Omega red because Omega Red's you know his his brethren from uh from Russia I think yeah now, I think now like the attacks on Wolverine are more in response in retaliation to Wolverine thwarting Mikhail and Omega Red's plans
4: that was basically my thinking too I mean Mikhail sort of seems to be functioning as the beast to whatever Russian powers that be are their quiet council. So he, to me, I've been reading it as he's kind of laying down traps and threats that are meant to destabilize Krakoa through. I mean, like the big thing is he's trying to kill Xavier in the past. Arturo, I think you could be correct insofar as this might have more to do with Colossus than has fully been said on page, and that can come to fruition as this develops, because I don't think this will all be done as far as Mikhail and his animosity towards Krakoa goes after this event. So really, I see him as the enemy of Charles in this and more long term as just an enemy of Krakoa. And I think you will kind of be able to slot him into that role for a variety of characters as needed. So it does also bear mentioning
0: that, you know, if we do move Mikhail to the sort of Xavier-esque position, it sets Mikhail up to be sort of a new sinister, new apocalypse, which in many ways, I feel like was always the design of the early 90s. There was always a certain let's do that with him. You know, he has that turn the guy into a tree shit or whatever. And then he's like Morlock pocket dimension, bam, bam, or whatever. So like, you know, th- it's there and it fit this funny trope of long-lost older brothers who could warp reality because it's Jamie Braddock, this guy. And there were a few others at the time as well. And I think there's a real potentiality to where they could go with this. And I feel as though if Colossus comes in on it, I could be won over, especially because I did not expect to wind up enjoying the appearance of Team X as much as I did. How did everybody feel about this additional appearance of Sabertooth? who is having like a -a credissance right now.
3: I mean, absolutely necessary. Like you can't, you can't go into Wolverine's history without a good dose of Sabretooth, right? Like he, in a way, that's part of why I never cared for Romulus because I was like, you're not different enough from Sabretooth for me to really give a shit. Sabretooth is just that guy. He was, you know, Wolverine's boogeyman. In the 90s, when Wolverine was in the sewers with LCD, who was a little robot girl, not ass. LCD, not LSD.
0: She's LCD. LCD. Because it's like LCD
3: sound system or like, you know, an LCD system. But like, so it's LCD. Oh, wow. And I guess I'm dyslexic enough that I always thought that was like a play on words of LSD. Yeah,
0: no, because she's connected to a robot. Robot Albert.
3: Look, I was reading like the electric Kool-Aid acid test at the time. I was like in my, (laughs) I was in my whole like beatnik bag. It was, you know, high school. But anyways, back then when, you know, we didn't know like the relationship between Sabretooth and Wolverine. And there was like a solid two years where Sabretooth was gaslighting Wolverine that he was actually Wolverine's dad. And because of their healing factors, you can't tell how old either of us are, but I'm old enough to be yo daddy. They did dad, they did brother. Yeah, totally. It was fantastic, right? And and like you never knew, and you know, so there was always this like mystery around it. So, you know, I don't think this has pretty much any bearing on what's going on in the pages of Sabretooth. I think with like publishing and shipping times and all that I'm sure they're going to be fairly separated but yeah I mean I couldn't be happier with what Laval's pulled off in just one issue on you know on the Sabretooth front I'm, I'm really really excited to see what what comes down the road for Creed but it's nice to see him you know of course in Logan's rear view
4: I mean we know how tight the X office is how closely they work together editorial has been fantastic I think a lot of very interesting planning got derailed by COVID. And so there was sort of this expectation to not look for as much of that as it seemed like we would get at the start of the Krakoan era. But now that we've kind of hit our stride and there's a new flow, we're starting to see that tightness of various plots that when scheduled properly make a lot of sense. We're starting to see that come together. And I think that this creed as it has been so lovingly dubbed is probably a pretty great example of that. This Sabretooth series, as Arturo mentioned, started on such a strong note and I think is really going to build. And we have that interesting moment in the previous issue where Sabretooth says, like, Professor, he's on his way to you. We see the continuation of that with Logan fleeing. And the book concludes with Omega Red possessing Wolverine. So I'm a little interested to see if what would, that exchange that we saw and what happened afterwards is Sabretooth being put into that role that Wolverine has been because they saw this possession of Wolverine by Omega Red coming and now Sabretooth has to come in and you know and it might be somebody else possessing Sabretooth who knows but Sabretooth has to come in and deal with Omega Red and Wolverine that was my initial like guess at what was happening here but at the end of the day the point of like Sabretooth has been presented to us in a very strong way and is a really good reminder that like he is a player again and he's relevant. He's been relevant in the past and we need to start thinking about how he's going to play into events in the present and in the future.
0: I need Betsy and Rachel in like a basement sending Laura back into Sabretooth. Yes. Like, like that is yep. a parallel narrative that Correct. I desperately need. Correct. I was also really surprised that the tendrils came out from underneath Wolverine mega reds arms i kind of thought they would just replace his claws yeah i had the same thought. <laughs> i was just surprised it was an ana- it was an anatomological choice that i was not i was just not ready for it would have been How cool if he had been... six
3: like that would have bothered me to no end i hate <laughs> you both for even putting that in my head <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> but it would make sense like anatomically if it did come out of like his claws I think that would be really neat the way that I've been viewing Red Omega's thing is as like a skeletal kind of abnormality so it would be bone and underneath the claws is bone so I think that would actually would have been cooler like really grotesque but much cooler
3: I don't think it gets much cooler than these like spinal tendrils they have- have been upsetting to me for weeks and they haunt my dreams and josh kassara is a demented genius for for this little artistic twist as we travel through time
4: well and i love the idea that it is a parallel to wolverine's bone claws you know we've never thought about this before and we've never had reason to or maybe we have and i don't know the history but the idea that they've always been like this and you know because of how he's set up with his carbonadium synthesizer and all that he's had sheathing on these horrifying monster spine tendrils this whole time i love it yeah and it kind of i feel like the
2: placement of where they are now it gives him more of that omega it's It makes him more like omega red than just having the omega symbol on his forehead you know it makes it visualizes him more as like a combination of both
0: and i'm gonna spotlight something that i do think needs spotlighting for at least one minute when we list logan's most iconic looks i don't think we really think of the team x look often enough i think too frequently that gets just sort of remaindered as maverick's exclusive look but this is one of those examples of where logan was ripe for this Raven made a comment in a recent bit of coverage of new mutants, where she said her greatest frustration at Madeline Pryor's inability to escape little more than, you know, the goblin G string is that it means that there can't really be uh, the many costumes of Madeline cover the way there have been of so many other characters, because she's really only got the one. And we really do come to associate looks with a character's almost Fandom potential value and I feel like Logan Josh Kassara is really exploring The Jumbo Carnation lookbook of Logan
4: especially funny for Logan because his past Is unknown and there's always Another year that he'd Forgotten about that we can flash back To and discover like how Amazing he looks in a sombrero Like the possibilities are Endless and so on top Of constantly being able to Refer back to uh Uh, continuity looks and stuff that we know he has and also just like to see an artist spin on to see josh Casara spin on this stuff is really cool but you can always create a new one it's not that hard and you know there you you just can't wait to see what logan looks like in whatever
3: you know what would be interesting that i'm kind of surprised we haven't seen more of um the first big piece of of logan's puzzle that we you know happened upon back in the day was the weapon x program and i'm kind of surprised that we're not seeing a little bit of that I guess even as i'm saying that i'm like well where would xavier be i don't know or maybe like maybe as a, a theater for you know omega red to be attacking wolverine I, I don't know it just that was that's always been such a huge part of his character and his identity and his and his lore that it's kind of interesting that we haven't seen that and goddamn i would give good money to see josh cassara's take on wolverine running around with wires and a and a big fat remote control covering his junk
4: I I mean we're still missing lives four and eight right
3: yeah i really hope we do see both weapon x
0: and if i can and you know just to be a wolverine fan alpha flight yeah. i love alpha flight that's such a great era for logan it's such a unique bit of marvel history and i feel like alpha flight is an undersung hero of the x verse it gets so quickly remaindered to whatever event is going on at the time we've actually had a lot of coverage discuss sword and And say how, you know, it's so unfortunate that S.W.O.R.D. got sucked up into all of these events. That was the design of the book. The book was literally facilitate the X-Men entering space events. That was the whole book. And that we got story in it was so amazing from it, right? And I feel like Alpha Flight frequently goes the other way. Alpha Flight comes out of the gate with a great idea and a great arc and that first number one sales are fucking great and then number two has number two sales and then number three has number three sales and before you know it, it's in five consecutive crossovers and then cancelled. And I feel like Alpha Flight just doesn't get enough respect in the X lineup and this would be a really great place to give Mac and Heather and the whole team a little respect.
3: Alpha Flight's so weird because it was like, uh, it, like Excalibur was kind of like positioned as you know the 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 uk x-men and then alpha flight you know was these are imperfect you know analogies or whatever but it was obviously like the canadian x-men but they were kind of like the avengers and it was just they never at least excalibur had some back and forth with with the x-line and you know characters but alpha flight aside from wolverine what like where the hell were they during extinction agenda executioner like literally any anything where were they during the decimation where were they so i don't know alpha flight's a hard sell for me i think it would be wonderful if we had alpha flight on marvel unlimited and there was more access to it but it's always seemed like a property that di- never got the attention it truly needed and maybe deserved the other big exception obviously sorry uh north star and now oh, and yeah. now aurora but aurora is kind of she's you know more of an afterthought but i gotta give props to north star because when he did come over he he was at the school he was you know fully a member of the team so you know i, I do walk that back a little bit but the rest of them i don't know kind of sus kind of sus bitch where were you
0: maybe a little bit sasquatch because i do agree it's like they really tried to keep them the alpha flight people with the bigger marvel people because they were in things like infinity crusade and infinity gauntlet like they were in like other shit that's great right? yeah yeah drew i gotta ask as as the team of your people how do you <laughs> How do you feel about Logan's position in Alpha Flight perhaps being almost, like, it almost feels performatory. Like, it almost feels like they're like, oh, look, remember, he has a nation.
2: Yeah, well, I (laughs) feel, Alpha Flight is kind of problematic, but that's going to be a whole other, you know, uh, that's a whole other topic (laughs) if we're looking at, like, Canadian culture and stuff like that but I like Wolverine being in that role just because it's, you know, a cool character to be someone connected to your home country. And other than Guardian, I feel like he's more of like the Canadian public perception. He's more of the Canadian hero. So the last
0: component of Logan that's hard not to notice is missing is a general atmosphere of Madripoor and Patch. I feel as though there is a huge part of Logan's eras that involve Logan involved in crime that very fits this Logan motif. Like, this is a story prime for Omega Red to take over Yukio this is a story primed for Omega Red to take over Ogan and have him go back to a feudal Japan battle. Like, there's a lot of elements of Logan's backstory that I feel like are prime for exploration. And I look forward to seeing them hopefully in the next few issues. Do you guys have any hopes for the future of Logan's Ten Lives?
4: I really hope we get an understanding of how these two very distinct books interact. It is a pretty cool reflection of House of X and Powers of Ten, which they were like, these are two separate books and they were not, (laughs) they were one book with kind of different story tracks for the books, but you could not read one and not read the other at this point you could read one or the other of these and it wouldn't matter you wouldn't be missing anything from the book that you weren't reading so with the remaining issues i would be really fascinated to even you know it doesn't need to be a huge thing but to be like now i understand why these two things are happening how the- why these two things are being published at the same time and what the significance of that is that's my biggest hope finding out what these other two lives are again i'm expecting a moira's sixth life type reveal. But other than that, you know, at this point, I'm really just along for the ride because this isn't going in any of the ways that I expected. And in a very positive way, I'm enjoying being
1: wrong. I would tend to agree with what TK said. I'm reading these two books as two different books right now, but I'm reading them both kind of hoping they will interact at one point or make sense with each other. I'm holding out hope that they will interact with each other and make some sort of sense at the end.
2: Yeah, I agree with with that, What like what everyone else was saying, but i'm also starting to get like a little bit of the wolverine fatigue it's just like a lot with all the you know with both the series and then like on my own i'm reading the larry homo uh wolverine series so it's a lot of wolverine
3: my big thing that i'm waiting for and i guess hoping for I, i agree with you tk is the reveal that's going to really click these two series together i'm not worrying about it right now i'm enjoying them each for what they are but yeah i just have a huge question mark when I when I look ahead and I'm like okay so will they just stay separate stories or is there going to be this you know final act scene that you know maybe we see a, se- a same scene played out in different ways in both titles or something that kind of just like links everything together but we're far enough along that well, I don't know I don't know I hope Omega Red survives all of this uh, because this is the most interesting I think he's ever been.
0: If there's anything I need more of it's more of this exploratory developmental storytelling via artistic interpretation of era. It's an, an essential element of telling a story like this when it's all coming from the pencil of one creator but Josh Kassara is using color narrative line work, line variation and sort of a density of perspective to create different cinematic scapes, each one befitting a different style that matches the narrative that story is telling but it's being unified with specific elements using things like Jean Grey and the color palette on Jean Grey as she appears throughout time, always the same. She doesn't change so that her interactions with the different styles remains a constant as a focal point for Logan through time. It's an element of interwoven storytelling that takes the medium of comics and says, hey, we're fucking art too. And it's one of those things that sets this book apart from other events where maybe we're not always getting what we wanted or what we expected, but they're still trying to make sure that we feel that 4.99 is at least covering some And I am fascinated to see how far Ben Percy and Josh Kassara can push this singular identity of visual perspective in future ways. I'm really excited. Hey everybody, Nico here again, and one of the major things that this X Lives and Deaths of Wolverine event has forced me to do is sort of consider the way Wolverine's history interacts with his publication. And it's so hard to think of a time where Wolverine wasn't the most appearing character at Marvel Comics. You know, he's up there with Spider-Man as one of those characters that's in every third book, you know, and I think it's easy to forget because of that that Wolverine had less than 25 appearances between his creation and. 1974 and his appearance in Contest of Champions in 1982, and almost every one of them was with the X-Men. For that reason, you know, when we talk about Wolverine and we talk about how unbelievably unavoidable he is, one of the things that has to enter the discussion is the nature of how comics changed. There was a period in time where Logan appeared in one book, and when that team went somewhere else, so did he. It wasn't a matter of Logan had so many solo titles, though it definitely reached that point, and because of that wolverine has become an industry within marvel it's not just that Wolverine is responsible for a portion of the X titles, but Wolverine is responsible for, essentially, his own revenue stream within Marvel as an entity, and that's best exemplified that even when Marvel chose to kill him off for several years, they kept multiple titles bearing his name and elevated several characters into that sort of framework of one of the Wolverines. Ultimately, big fan of Laura, big fan of Dawkin could not be more excited about their inclusions in that world, but it definitely showed that... Marvel wasn't ready to have a Marvel Universe without Wolverine as a publishing figure ongoingly. And I think that's a lot to do with the fact that there has been, in some capacity, a significant contribution by Wolverine as a solo character since about 1982. Now, we've talked extensively about the Frank Miller, Chris Claremont four-part miniseries from 1982, Wolverine, which saw the introduction of Yukio and Wolverine going, you know, next level with the hand. And there are so many incredible stories about how that particular miniseries came together. And one of my favorite has to do with Claremont and Miller being in the car, going to a convention together. I spoke a bit earlier about the nature of Wolverine and Daredevil and the sort of reciprocity that their two lines offer each other. And so much of Electra appearing in Larry Hama's Wolverine really owes itself to this first moment in time that Wolverine became a solo figure. And since 1982, too, that initial miniseries, there's pretty much always been something significant going on. Wolverine at the time, even if Wolverine's miniseries was only four issues, it played into a bigger part of the Uncanny X-Men, sort of like 172 to 175 wedding complex. That was a really big moment, and there was definitely a different atmosphere in comics. I unfortunately am not from that time, but what I've been able to gather from the zeitgeist and research is there really was a belief that gene could be coming back and that that issue really was going to change everything for the reveal to be that it was mastermind and uh you know Wolverine's wedding to fall apart this was really shocking and it was definitely born of an age where comics had a little bit of an advantage on not having to fight solicits and leaks and to some extent not having to deal with an endless media machine certainly I would not trade Twitter for fewer solicits but it did change storytelling and the way that these stories can impact us from there wolverine returned to minis with kitty pride and wolverine by chris claremont and al milgram and this miniseries for me is so fascinating because i as a kid really didn't understand what this miniseries was to me this was like somebody said wolverine one through four was so cool let's do it again and let's like throw a kid in it like sequel style and it didn't have miller whose art even as a kid really like affected me and I didn't understand that this was really about evolving Wolverine into different roles and Milgram wanting to be part of seeing a second story come through and I definitely as a kid didn't appreciate Ogen to me he was just like this weird old man and a freaky mask and I didn't see how Kitty Pride and Wolverine represented a pivotal coming of age for both characters and created a dynamic moment for Wolverine as a mentor and mentor Wolverine wouldn't just go on to dominate his solo title for many years, but also we would go on to get Wolverine and the X-Men, one of my all-time favorite team books in the history of the medium. So it is certainly important to understand how these pieces came together to install the framework that Logan continues to operate in to this day. While Logan wasn't quite ready for an ongoing solo title every month, what he did wind up with was a good chance to interact with the Marvel. Universe at large, even if it was through the sort of seldom reprint universe that existed at the time. You know, Dark Phoenix Saga got a trade and it had that beautiful Sienkiewicz cover, and I'm pretty sure From the Ashes had a trade early on. That's the aforementioned, is Gene coming back or not? And in 1986, Marvel published Incredible Hulk and Wolverine number no. one, which reprinted Incredible Hulk number no. 180 and 181 by Len Wein and Herb Trimp, as well as At the Sign of the Lion from Marvel Treasury Edition number no. 28 by Mary Joe Duffy. Ken Lendgraf and I'm going to mention the inker here. Now that I shouldn't always be mentioning the inker, but the inker was fucking George Perez. So like, let's just talk about that for a minute. The story is also really interesting. It sees Wolverine and Hercules teaming up. And if you guys know anything about Extreme X Men Volume Two, there is some real hot Wolverine Hercules stuff. It's definitely as a queer man something that means a lot to me. And being able to see that there is this sort of sense of Wolverine installed into the narrative of being able to hang with somebody like Hercules as far back as the 70s and 80s is such a significant part of that happening and funny enough that reprint actually also features a multi-page piece called Wolverine Evolution of a Character which sees art by Paul Smith and John Ramita Sr. and a number of other greats and so they're kind of doing back then what I'm doing now it's just so funny to think that since 1986 quintuple septuple octuple the amount of Wolverine has come out and it's unbelievable that we're still examining this character on so many levels even that many years later and you know I sometimes think that speaking of years later we're all shaped by the stories that really imprinted on us and you can hear that with a lot of our contributors and I feel like you can also see that with your favorite creators oftentimes. and in 1987 there was a Spider-Man Wolverine team up the Amazing Spider-Man versus Wolverine which actually spun out of Amazing Spider-Man 288 and would continue in Amazing Spider-Man 289 and web of spider-man 29 and it actually saw the death of ned Leeds in a storyline that involved an old wolverine confidant and informant named charlemagne and this was a pretty big deal book and it would go on to inspire a what if many years later so it's definitely a moment where you can see how like oh this big one shot it was like a big fucking deal and like it sticks in your head because it was a one shot and by putting wolverine's name in the title this wasn't simply wolverine appears this was spider-man versus wolverine it's a sort of dynamic statement that elevates wolverine in so many ways and you know in a lot of ways it also kind of elevated kitty pride when kitty pride was with wolverine you can see that hierarchy of stepping up kitty pride took a big step up and like look she's on par with wolverine and like look at that wolverine took a big step up he's on par with spider-man and it's a sense of biggerness that played out in the 80s to lead to a biggerness now of course the biggerness was just starting. And in 1988, Wolverine and Havoc would team up for a miniseries called Meltdown. This is an incredibly experimental piece of art, especially for the time. And I think when you're talking about late 80s X-Men, I do think the Simonsons who created Wolverine Havoc Meltdown 1 through 4 do come to mind. Walt and Louise Simonson did an incredible job writing this. And the art was by John J. Muth, as well as Kent Williams. And, you know, these are artists who I would... sort of associate with vertigo and progressive comics that would come after this and so Wolverine if you can believe it was in many ways at the time sort of at the forefront of new ideas and storytelling and it's shocking how when a character becomes a staple of publishing like a Batman like a Spider-Man like a Superman like a Wonder Woman you do ultimately start to see how retroactively their material had to change somewhat whether that's because comics remolded to fit Wolverine's presence or Wolverine's presence reshaped comics it's really one or the other but by the time 1989 rolls around and you've got Wolverine's saga, Wolverine's saga which we've talked about a few times on the show, a cardboard four part series that had prose retellings around some art from earlier issues of Wolverine, there was so much history to delve into that shortly there before in 1988, Wolverine would go on to get two of the most important things to his canon, his ongoing series which would last an un-fucking-realistic number of issues by today's standards. We're talking upwards of 190 issues, especially when you count in annuals. You're looking at like 200 issues. That's unbelievable for a title that began in 1988 when you think about the way the scope of comics has changed and the sort of refusal to engage with an issue count north of three digits. It's really quite something. And to that end, speaking of quite something, the creative teams that worked on this run of Wolverine to study it is fascinating the series kicked off with Chris Claremont and John Buscema on the first 10 issues of course I think the 10th issue might be one of the most well known Wolverine issues of all time that saber tooth cover it's so fucking visceral right I believe it had Bill Sienkiewicz on inks right Peter David would come in to write 11 through 16 and he would actually also show up a little bit later on I think he did issue 24 right Archie Goodwin would write for John Burns issues 17 to 23 which have actually been reprinted a number of times for fascinating reasons, because John Byrne's non-Fantastic 4 and non-X-Men work sometimes is kind of like, oh that's so unusual. There's a number of hardcovers and omnibus editions that include it, so this may be not the best run of Wolverine arc, right? This arc gets some reprints of note. Now, Joe Duffy, who wrote the aforementioned Hercules story, would come on to write an arc from 25 to 30 with Bill Jaska and Joe Rubenstein, who actually worked on some of those early Wolverine minis and absolutely Hopefully his contribution to Logan should never be erased, right? Larry Hama would start the title at issue 31 and would not jump the fuck off Wolverine's dick until 118. And that is the sort of commitment to a character that is so hard to get from the big two anymore. You just don't see somebody get to write like 100 solid issues of a character that sees so many humongous changes for the character. Logan lost his adamantium in that time. You know, that's a lot of the hallmarks of his era with jubilee you know we definitely associate jubilee with chris claremont but larry hama did an extraordinary amount of jubilee writing at that point which i guess in retrospect maybe makes his work on gen x less out of the less out of nowhere i guess all right i'm with you now now that run would be just so hard to follow up and from 119 to 158 the title would see no less than nine or 10 writers right 119 to 122 is that less 123 to 124 by tom DeFalco. Chris Claremont would return for 125 to 128, which was part of like a an early X-Men vote. It was like, vote to see who's gonna win, Wolverine or Sabretooth. That was definitely a thing I remember. Todd DeZago, another kind of vertigo voice, would come in for 129 to 132. Eric Larson did the largest stretch of here with 133 to 145. 145 ends with that really memorable cover with the adamantium claws, and he would ultimately get kind of rebooted Wolverine uh, for the Aston Punishing X-Men and The Twelve, that whole apocalypse era, right? Shortly thereafter that, though, Fabian Nicieza, Glenn Hurdling, Steve Skroos, Rob Lutherfeld, and a number of other writers would do an issue here, an issue there, ultimately culminating with 158 by Joe Pruitt before industry legend Frank Thierry would take over from issue 159 to 190. That run of Wolverine, that body of time, represents so many people's formative knowledge of Wolverine. And it's hard to underestimate how many stories from that time have maybe been forgotten in the outward sense that nobody would be able to say off the top there, Oh yeah, number 48 was this issue with that name. And of course there are many people who can. But I think the atmosphere of those stories, the magic and the energy, are what continue to permeate Logan they've all affected somebody like that spider-man versus wolverine story however it is impossible to discuss the late 80s at marvel without talking about marvel comics presents a rather unusual attempt at a weekly series now early stories of marvel comics presents featured chris claremont continuing to write some exciting wolverine stories of course chris claremont would part with the company early on in the 90s so there wouldn't be too many there wolverine coming and goingly would remain more or less a staple of marvel comics presents there's a a handful that don't include him. And while Marvel Comics Presents might be better remembered for some of those unusual, like Excalibur stories or like the odd Scott Solo story, I feel like many people would recognize a lot of the Wolverine art from that time. Of course, there is probably no more famous Wolverine story from Marvel Comics Presents than that of Weapon X by Barry Windsor Smith. Weapon X by Barry Windsor Smith is an idea based on an original concept by Chris Claremont where he put together wolverine's backstory built the weapon x facility into canon in a very clear very solid way so many unforgettable visuals come from that particular arc and it's crazy to think that that's not in a wolverine series you know nowadays marvel would make such a big thing about that it would get so much attention in whatever title it's going in that it's hard to imagine that a big name creator would do a big name origin in a small name title like that but i do believe that that is a good part of why those issues of Marvel Comics Presents are perhaps not just the most reprinted of the series in general, but they are some of the most reprinted Wolverine stories ever. Well after Marvel Comics Presents ends its initial run in 1995, Wolverine gets a sort of definitive origin in the pages of Wolverine, the origin in 2001, and I actually have this to say about it. I reread it to talk about it here, and we've made a lot of comments over the last couple of years at the expense of this story and I don't know that in looking back my view of this story has softened but perhaps the venom and acidity upon which I speak about it with has lessened and by that I mean this actually doesn't do that much to give away Logan's origin. It really doesn't. It tells a really specific moment and a really specific version of a really specific moment in time. And I think with that context kind of glomped onto it, you can forgive it a little bit more what it was never really meant to do but wound up doing. Yes, it's a definitive, this is like a moment of Wolverine's past, but it doesn't actually have all of the repercussions of ruining Logan's mystique that it frequently gets charged with. So much of that is the fallout of House of M and the advent of Wolverine Origins, but well before that, in 2003, Greg Rucka and Derek Robertson relaunched Wolverine for 19 issues. It was really well-received. People were really big fans of it. It has some of the most unfucking forgettable covers ever, like that real hot Nightcrawler cover. And then Mark Millar and J.R.J.R., I mean, J.R.J.R., personal hero of mine, would go on to do 20 to 30 of that Wolverine run before Daniel Way would come on and work with House of M and then... And sort of like... Origins and endings that arc that help establish that Wolverine was going to go through his history and understand who he was. That of course gave us Wolverine Origins, a fifty-issue series that started in two thousand and six. It would go on to cross over with X Men Legacy and give birth to Dark Wolverine, a Docent title, which definitely necessary to getting Daken to where he is now. But the truth is that Dawkin has absolutely no echoes of who we have now in the books. That is such a you know Docent now is like champion di- disaster bisexual and docking back then was pretty problematic so it's really great to see how his character grew much like his father's but once Daniel Way left the pages of Wolverine we had some pretty spotty eras. Stuart Moore, Rob Williams and Jason Aaron all did one issue here and there while Mark Guggenheim and Jeff Loeb were responsible for the bulk of issues 42 to 61. Mark Guggenheim of course had that stunning Ramos art on that arc so good and Jeff Loeb did his Romulus thing in this time. That's you know, definitely where this is from, Wolverine 50 to 55 with Simone Bianchi. It's some really intense art. It's some really complicated storytelling. And then issues 62 to 65, see Jason Aaron coming back to keep reforming his definition of Wolverine. This is his Get Mystique arc, which really, you know, fallout out from a lot of what was going on in the books at the time, but also a really great opportunity to understand who Mystique and Logan were to each other and were going to be to each other for at least another 10 years. From there, we got Old Man Logan. which I don't know that is my Logan exactly, but it certainly is a huge deal culturally before issues 73 and 74 close out the series by both Jason Aaron and Daniel Way. There's also like an issue 900 special guy up in there, right? Uh, At this time or around this time, Wolverine Weapon X had been running by Jason Aaron. It ran 16 terrific issues starting in the year 2009. It's definitely a favorite of mine. I think Ron Garney can draw anything and that would lead to Jason Aaron taking on Wolverine properly over in his next run. Now Jason Aaron would write issues 1 through 20 and 300 through 304 before hopping off for Colin Bunn and Jeff Loeb. Colin Bunn wrote the majority of 305 to 317 but Jeff Loeb came in to do more kind of Romulus-y, tooth stuff from 300 to 313 and that's just what happened. You know what I mean? It happened and it's there. At this point though, the narrative of Wolverine was starting to get a little messy and we got Savage Wolverine which ran 23 issues featuring artists coming in and telling really interesting Wolverine stories, one of my absolute favorites. Like, vaguely does and doesn't intersect with the Mark Wade Daredevil run from the time. It gives you a sense of what's going on, kind of, sort of. It's really a fun story. And I recommend reading a number of the Savage Wolverine stories. Anytime Phil Yaminez draws anything, you should read it, right? And that's when we get to the Death of Wolverine era with Paul Cornell's double volumes, 1 through 13, followed by 1 through 12. Now, 1 through 13 had Alan Davis, on it, followed by 1 through 12, kicks off with Ryan Stegman and ends with Chris Anka. Now, that's two amazing artists. And there were a handful of artists in between, so I definitely don't have a problem with the quality of the art, but rather my concerns with with the lack of consistency in this time, especially because it was all building up toward Wolverine's death. Then I personally was very confused because I felt like that run really did end with, like, if you told me Wolverine just died off-panel after that final pick I'd have been fine with that. I would have really understood that. And then instead we have Death of Wolverine by Charles Sewell just a few months later with Steve McNiven. And I don't know that the idea to kill Wolverine that existed in the pages of the Paul Cornell series is exactly the same Death of Wolverine that I read over in Charles Sewell's series. And then all of the Logan Legacy stuff that followed it. I recently did a really big reread of that whole era and it was fascinating to realize that the reason it was necessary to replace a single character with a legacy of characters was because Logan had become so many things to so many people and it's not that everybody accepted all of it but it was easier to get people to keep accepting something that they mostly agreed with than to get people to accept any single new character could do everything Logan could do. In this time though, Marvel definitely increased the presence of characters like Deadpool who was seeing some succ- some extreme success and terrific financial returns. And that is in many ways kind of like the JWD. Jerry Dugan sort of era of Deadpool coming up and you can really see how that's impacted a change in status quo on Krakoa if nothing else the fact that Wolverine was dead for such a long period of time where he was and the rise of Laura and Dawkin in that period it at least told Marvel that you don't need Logan on every title in order for every title to be successful and I think that that's a lot of what Ben Percy has been dealing with in the pages of his Wolverine and his X-Force he's dealing with a world where we've made it clear that Wolverine is an accessory and he's ancillary to the success of the X-Men's line but yet we still want to see him thrive he's also of course contending with the inability to kill any humans which you know Logan is kind of a killer guy killing people is kind of a key element of his trade he is a violent character so I feel like I am learning a lot about Wolverine in both dissecting his publishing history and the history of his character through the work of Ben Percy and Jim Zub as well as all of of the brilliant artists like Joshua Cassara, Ramon Box, and many more who have been contributing to this incredible era. It's also of note how many amazing creators have touched Wolverine's character that I certainly have not had a chance to interact with, but cannot wait to in the future. And lastly, if you want to know a little bit more about where you can check out these issues, don't forget you can always read a lot of this over on Marvel Unlimited, which admittedly, for the bulk of Wolverine's major stories, is pretty complete. When you start looking up one-shots and miniseries, it does get a little, you know, versnicked. But to take a look at some of the omnibus editions that you can pick up for Wolverine, the first omnibus edition contains the first 10 Marvel Comics Presents stories, plus 72 through 84, which is the aforementioned Weapon X story. It also includes Incredible Hulk, 180 and 181, as well as 340. Marvel Treasury Edition 26. Best of Marvel Comics. Wolverine by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller 1 through 4. Uncanny X-Men 172 and 173. Kitty Pride and Wolverine 1 through 6. Captain America Annual 8 Spider-Man vs. Wolverine Number 1 Marvel Age Annual No. 4 The first 10 issues by Chris Claremont of Wolverine's first ongoing as well as Punisher War Journal Number 6 and 7 A few years later Wolverine Volume 2 would come out like I got the first one in like 2009 and then waited forever for the second one in 2021 which featured Wolverine 11 through 30 from the 88 series Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown 1 through 4 Marvel Graphic Novel Number 50 which is Wolverine Wolverine, Nick Fury, The Scorpio Connection, one that I will definitely be talking about in the future, Wolverine, The Jungle Adventure, Marvel Graphic Novel number 65, Wolverine, Bloodlust, which I may or may not talk about in the future, as well as tons of Marvel Comics Presents content from issues 38 to number 71. According to Solicits, this summer, we can look forward to Wolverine volume three, featuring issues 31 through 59 of the original series, Marvel Graphic Novel number 67, Wolverine, Bloody Choices, Wolverine, Reign of Terror which, this is the fucking book that won't die. I have spoken extensively about how I don't understand how this book continues to be collected. It's not a bad book, but it's like such a non-moment in canon that it's so fascinating that maybe just people always need 48 pages. I don't know, but it's a thing. Ghost Rider, Wolverine, and Punisher, Hearts of Darkness, as well as X-Men 4 through 7, material from Marvel Fanfare 54 to 55, and Marvel Comics Presents 85 through 108. Wolverine by Mark Millar is collected in its entirety in Wolverine... Omnibus by Mark Millar, issues 20 through 30 and 66 through 72 of that third volume, as well as the giant size Old Man Logan closeout. There are two volumes of Wolverine by Jason Aaron, as well as a complete collection, well, more or less complete, of his Wolverine and the X Men. Wolverine by Jason Aaron includes issues 56, 62 through 65 from the 2003 series, Wolverine Manifest Destiny 1 through 4, Wolverine Weapon X 1 through 16, Dark Reign The List Wolverine, as well as material about Wolverine from issues 73 and 74 that would be the jason aaron pages as opposed to the daniel way pages dark x-men number three the beginning and wolverine number 175 which actually it's a story that was like jason aaron's first major story and so it just always brings like uh, an emotional thing when you read the letter that he included it's so spectacular jason aaron is just the best. Wolverine Goes to Hell goes on to include Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine 1 through 6. Wolverine 1 through 20 from that next run that featured the jump to 300 as well as 300 to 304. Issue 5.1 and X-Men Schism 1 through 5. That's a great way to collect Schism too if you're looking to get an omnibus edition of Schism. If that's like a thing for you, it's a really nice presentation of it. As well as additional material from Wolverine the Road to Hell, Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron contains all of the issues of the series except for issue Issues 36 and 37 which were tie-ins to battle of the atom though it also does include annual number one as always we love making this show for you three times a week every week with some kind of content monday x-men x-wednesdays and marvel fanfare fridays so guys thank you so much for listening to me love logan just as much as i do i hope this has helped either give you guys more appreciation for the character a better understanding for his character publication or just answers to some questions you've always wondered myself i can't wait to see what logan gets up to in his next five issues of this incredible event and i really want to know where life of wolverine is going so until next time guys keep those mutant lights lit those crocoan gateways open keep on snickton and we'll see ya